Well, good morning, church. Wow. I like that. We got an eager beaver right there. That's great. Um, so, anybody a fan of Daylight Savings? Yeah. I'll, I'll just, I, I'm just going to say, praise be to God that my phone automatically updated the time, because I wouldn't have been here at the first service. Like, let's just say that, get that out of the way. Uh, my name is Brandon Ziske, the lead pastor here at Austin Oaks Church. Um, one of the reasons why I love to say good morning, church, is just to help us be remind, uh, uh, mindful that the fact is, this building, 4220 Monterey Oaks, this facility is not the church. You are the church. The church is the people. And one of the things that we love to gather around here is the gospel. And that's why we say we're simply about Jesus. We want to help people meet, know, and follow him. And that's why we're here. Now, um, if you were with us, how many of you were in this room or somewhere on campus um, last Sunday? Okay, Chad did a great job, amen? Amen. But he also was a a liar. (laughs) Now, truth be told, the dog did eat the football. Just the laces, we still use it at the house. But it had no sentimental value to him, okay? There was no, my dad gave me this ball and it was signed by such and such and blah, 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 blah all that kind of stuff. So actually what I did is I got our youth ministry and their people and they autographed this football just for you, Chad. So now it's sentimental. So just like a Chargers fan right there. Okay. Woo, man, I'm feeling it this morning. So now you can say you have sentimental value on that football. Okay, there we go. Um, we are in this series, and we title this series, No Accident. And the reason for it being is that following Jesus, it takes a life of intentionality. It just doesn't happen, okay? If you think about every context of your life, things don't just accidentally happen. It takes intentionality. It takes focus, okay? And so we were talking about um, four weeks ago now, as we started to say, we need to strip it back down to the basics. Because a lot of times, we can make things more complicated than it, than it should be. And so that's why we started talking about what does it mean to saturate the area with the gospel? What does it mean to be a witness? And we are then talking about what does it mean to be a disciple, to follow Jesus? And what does it mean to be a different type of leader? One who embraces authentic humil- um, humility, right, in our leadership. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to come together and answer this question. What does it look like to live intentionally for Jesus? What does it look like? Because this is the question that you have to answer because the reality is there are parts of your life that are just accidentally happening and then there are other parts of your life that you're giving great intentionality to. So when Jesus called us to follow him, the call to follow him was high. It was kind of, you know, overwhelming. It set a high bar, a high standard And in Luke chapter 9, when we talked about this a few weeks ago, Peter made the profession of faith when Jesus said, hey, who do people say that I am? They're like, well, some say this, some say this. And he looked at Peter and said, yeah, but okay, what about you? What do you say? And, you know, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus made this statement. He's like, okay, if any of you, if any of you would come after me, if any of you would choose to follow me, here's what you must do. You must deny yourself, carry your cross, daily, and follow me. That takes intentionality. 
Nobody drifts into a life of self-denial. Nobody drifts into carrying their cross. It is a choice. It is, a, it is an intentional choice that Jesus is saying. It's like, listen, and it's in the fact that it says daily, because it just doesn't happen once, right? Like every day is an opportunity for you to get up and go, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. I'm going to choose to intentionally go after him. I'm going to choose to deny myself today. That is important. And so we got to remember, as we start thinking about the Christian life and the call that Jesus gave us to follow him, like we weren't just saved simply from hell. Like that's awesome. That is a blessing. It is a great gift that God gave us, right? Ephesians chapter two tells us that we were objects of God's wrath. We were, you know, dead in our sin and trespasses, but God who's rich in mercy, who's rich in mercy, he gave, he did everything for us and we are saved by grace. Through faith, we see this portrayed in, in Ephesians chapter 2 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of work, so that no one may boast. All of a sudden, off of that understanding of the gospel and how we're saved, Paul slips this one right in here. He's like, listen, we are his workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared in advance that we would do. So that's why we're saying we got to go back to the basics. Our call to follow Jesus just isn't like me and Jesus and I'm going to grow in my own faith and it's everything that I can get and squeeze out of him for my own blessing. I'm no longer going to hell. I'm going to heaven. That's awesome. Let's just wait. Jesus, come quickly. Like the reality is when you're saved, you're not just saved from something. You're saved for something. You're called to follow him. The question is, are you going to be responsible with what Jesus has entrusted to you? Every believer is entrusted with these two basic things. Time, you've all been entrusted with time. You can't control it. You can't gain any more of it. You can waste it. You can squander it. But you've been allotted a certain amount of time. God knows your time. He's entrusted you with time, and he's also entrusted you with gospel responsibility. What are you going to do with it? So here's the question. Are you living your life on purpose? Are you living your life with a vision in mind, a goal in mind? And if so, what is it? Is it your own pursuits or is it living for him? Does it influence your decisions? Does it, does it invade your thought life and all the other things that come with your life? Are you living on purpose? Because what we're going to see this morning is that we, how we live, and the purpose that we are living for will show itself at some point. Look at how Paul writes this a little bit later in Ephesians chapter 5. I mean, like, just read this real quick and let this one just sit on you. Therefore, be imitators of God. We could just stop right there, right? Like, that's like, hey, imitate God. Whew. 
I mean, this is in light of the whole gospel presentation that he's been given in Ephesians chapter 1 through 5. He's like, be Im- imitators of God as beloved children. And then he starts talking about how you walk. Walk in love. Live in love. Like, walking is, is a Christian cliche that we use a lot, that a lot of times loses its meaning. It's meaning I'm moving in a direction, and every step I'm taking is intentional. So you walk in love. A lot of times the Bible says, don't walk in darkness or in the deeds of darkness. Now walk in the light, walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In the next 12 uh, verses here, Paul starts talking about like the deeds of the world and darkness. Like, don't live that way anymore. You, 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 you used to live that way, but don't do it anymore. But here, walk this way. Walk in the light. Walk in love. And then all of a sudden, he gives us the reason why. In Ephesians 5.15, he says, then look carefully how you walk. In other words, pay careful attention to your steps. Which way are you heading? How are you living? How are you acting? Which direction are you going? Are you walking in love? Are you walking in life? Pay careful attention how you walk. This is a daily act. This calls for a life and intentionality, not accidental living. Pay careful attention how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time, Or in other words, in the Greek, it says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. When I started thinking about this right here, making the best use of the time and studying this, I was just feeling rather overwhelmed with this, okay? Because the reality is we've all been allotted some time. And all of a sudden, I'm having these moments where I'm thinking about my 11-year-old daughter, and, and like, I'm telling you right now, like, I, I'm a spoiled guy. She is so beautiful, not just like, you know, externally, but like her heart is beautiful. She's precious. She's my little princess. And, and we have this thing that she will, you know, we'll always cuddle together no matter how old she is. And I'll always have more rights in her life than her husband. We already settled that and all this kind of stuff. Like, you know, like, and all of a sudden it's dawning on me as we're preparing. Like, like we're starting to think through what her electives are in middle school. And I'm going... Middle school, the tool of Satan. <laughs> I'm just having, I'm like, because I remember what I was like in middle school, right? I'm just like, no, she can't go there. And, and I'm starting to think like, she's, she's getting older and, and things are changing. And I'm like, she's, she's not my little girl anymore. And, and all of a sudden I'm doing, what am I doing? And all of a sudden it dawned on me, I was like, at best, if she goes to college, I got six years left with her. And what if she meets a stupid boy? <laughs> like, like, I'm just, I'm like, my brain's going, I'm like, how am I making the best use of the time as a dad? How am I redeeming the time? Am I intentionally investing into her, or is it just accidentally happening? Am I intentionally showing her how to love Jesus, how to make him number one in every part of my life? So that when she looks at how I live, she goes, I know how to love him well. Or is it just accidentally happening? Like, start thinking about that in other areas of your life. You've all been entrusted with the responsibility of time. Make the best use of the time. Redeem the time. Know what the will of the Lord is. These days are evil. You've been entrusted not just with time, but also with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are you going to do with that? That is a massive question. And so what I want to do is I want to look at a parable in Matthew chapter 25. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to that. And if you didn't bring one, it's okay. 
You can pull one out underneath the seat that's there, or you can just follow along on the screen. Matthew chapter 25. This little parable comes in a string of parables that Jesus is teaching in this part of the gospel. He's now at the Mount of Olives. This is his last week. They call it Passion Week. And he's there in spending time teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God, the ins and outs, and what to expect after he goes. And he's trying to prepare them for life, for life after the ascension. And, and we know that these disciples are confused at best. Like, they don't understand what the kingdom of God thing is. Like, they have one concept, like, the kingdom of God is going to be a tangible kingdom. It's coming here. Jesus is the king. He's the Messiah. He's going to set up his throne. And they're kind of confused how it's going to go. And then Jesus is talking about how he's going to be handed over and crucified, killed. And then he's you know, going to be buried. And they can't get that through their head because he's like, wait, you're the king. And all of a sudden, he goes, no, no, no. And I'm going to come back. I'm going to raise again from the dead. And then, like, I'm going to go to the Father. Like, I'm, I'm going to leave, and, and it's to your advantage that I go, and you should be excited that I go, because if I go, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And they're just like, I don't quite get all of this. And then Jesus goes, okay, here's some parables, right? And parables are basically like illustrative stories that go alongside truth, that stick. These are stories that make truth very, very sticky. And he's given these parables about like how, like, the groom is gone and he'll come back for his wedding with the ten virgins saying, be prepared, don't let your oil and your lamp run out, like be ready, keep on your toes, he's coming back. And then he gets into this parable of the talents where he's like, listen, not only should you be ready anticipating the return of, of the Son of Man, but also you need to stay with your responsibility. You need to keep doing the work of ministry. You need to keep following me. And so he gives this parable of the talents. Okay, let's look at this. Matthew 25, verse 14 through 19. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he, had, he made five talents more. So also he who... Had the two talents, made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So, what I want you to grab hold of is the first six or so words. For it will be like. He's like, let me tell you another way to think about this. This is what life looks like in the kingdom of God now. For it will be like a man, a master, Jesus, who gives or entrusts his property to his servants, and then he goes away. Okay? This man, this master is Jesus. His servants are those who follow him. And so he gives his property. He entrusts his property to his servants, and he's going on a journey. He's going away. Hey, Josh, sorry, there is some crazy feedback right up on stage. Um, so I'm like just, sorry about that. I'm having a moment. Uh, where was I? So he gave to his servants his property and entrusted with them, and he was going to go away for a while. And now here's the deal, right? It's like we know we've been there. It's been 2,000-some years since Jesus ascended. And we have the promise that he's going to return, but it's very easy to kind of take our foot off the pedal. 
I go, I don't know if he's going to return to my lifetime or if he's going to go to my lifetime. And then some of us get caught up in conspiracy theories and we get so caught up in looking at all the political things and sort of go, he's coming now, he's coming now, he's coming now. And Jesus is like, don't worry about that. Just be ready and get at it. Right? And so here's this story. He gives five talents to one. He gives two talents to another and he gives one talent to another person. Here's what I, I love about the story is that there's, there's simple confusion that we have when we look at this because we don't use the word talent the way the Bible uses the word talent. And if, if you're not careful, a lot of times we just start to equate how we define talent into the story. So we think like America's got talent, right? Like you go up and you got your talents and a lot of times we'd be like, well, you know, Courtney's got five talents and, and Nima's got two and Chad half. <laughs> It's coming all day, buddy, right? Like, and we start to get in, like, you're like, that's not fair. Like, this person, you know, they can eat, drink, swim, and talk all at the same time. I don't even like the talent I have. God, you messed up. Like, that, that's not the issue. It has nothing to do with your abilities. Talent is a, is a unit of measurement. It, it, it's a weight. And so they used it to describe, like, so if you had one talent of gold, it was this much gold. If you had two talents, it was this much gold. And so basically, the master's entrusting to his servants eight talents worth of gold or silver or whatever it is. That's like a lot of money. That's like millions of dollars he's entrusting to his servants. Like, that's not to fall on deaf ears. That was to create shock, and his listeners. Like, who, which servant would entrust his property to servants? Who would do that? That's the point. I mean, he's entrusting a lot of wealth to people. Some to, this guy gets five, this guy gets two, this guy gets one, according to their ability. Not because Jesus likes this guy better, and this guy gets five because he likes him better, and this guy gets two because, yeah, he gets two, and this guy gets one. It has nothing to do with that. It's according to their ability, right? So if there's a big rock right here, and, it, you know, and you're like, who's going to move that rock? And you know that I'm strong, and I can carry that rock, and you know Chad's weak, and he can't carry that rock. So you're going to trust to me the, the responsibility of moving the rock, because you know if you gave it to Chad, it'd be wasted. All day. <laughs> That's it, I promise. There's no more. Right? And that's the idea. You know, and, and, and you know, someone also informed me another way of thinking about it, which is really true as well. In the last service, like, and it'd be really unfair of Jesus to give five talents to one who only has the ability to manage one. Right? So, like, there's that thought as well, which is really beautiful. Jesus, it, to him, it has nothing to do with your ability. He's looking for faithfulness. That's what this is about. And, and I want you to understand this amount that he's entrusting to his servants is meant to communicate the priceless value of what he's entrusting to us. He's entrusting to you and I the kingdom, the mission of the church. He's like, listen, I'm going to the Father. I'm going on a journey. Here's my stuff. Here, here's my property. Manage it. Be faithful with it. I'm going to come back. Folks, that's the church. He's like, listen, I'm entrusting you with time. You all have amount of time. You all have amount of things that you need to be faithful to in your time of life right here. But not only that, I'm giving you individually responsibility to do good works, which I prepared in advance for you to do. He's entrusted to that. 
And this guy goes on a journey. You have to understand this. The master Jesus has entrusted to you gospel responsibility, and it's priceless to him. He's trusting you. He's bestowing honor on you by giving you the opportunity. Think about that. That simply means that we need to be responsible for whatever Jesus entrusts to you. When you think about being intentional, it's being responsible with what he's entrusted to you. Your life has been entrusted to you. Your breath, your breathing, your heartbeat, it's been entrusted to you. That's all caught up in time. But now that you're saved and you're following Jesus, you're living on mission for him. It's going to look differently for each and every single one of us. And that's the beauty of the church. But we've been entrusted with our gospel responsibility. So, verse 16. He who had received the five talents my sleeve hit the there we go. Five talents went at once. Catch that. The guy who received the five, like imagining receiving five talents, he's not expecting it. He doesn't even feel like he deserves it, but the master comes and goes, hey, come here. I'm entrusting you with these five talents. And you can imagine the servant just going, what? Really? Thank you. And he immediately, he took it, and at once, at once he traded with them, at once he put them to use. Right? And he made five more. It's the same thing with the guy who had two. At once when he received the two, he's like, what? You're entrusting me with two? Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And at once he went. And then it comes to the guy, the one, who's trusted with one. And, and here's the part of the parable where we just, we don't know, but I think a lot of times we can imagine potentially what happened because we, we engage a lot of times like this. He gets the one talent. And it's almost as if he's like, I don't know what to do with this. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be safe. I'm going to be careful. I'm going to bury, bury. I'm going to dig a hole and I'm going to put it in there. And then I'm going to come up with a plan. And I'll come back and get it once I figure out what I'm going to do. And then once I figure out what I'm going to do, maybe then I'll go get it. Or maybe he's just like, I got to put it away for safekeeping. I don't want to forget where I put it. And I don't want it to, you know, put it into other bankers' hands. All this stuff. I'm just going to put it there. And um, once I deal with my own issues, once I figure out my own life, once I deal with this thing and I achieve this, then maybe I'll come back and get it. We don't know. Maybe, maybe he was terrified of the responsibility. Maybe he was just like, oh my goodness, I can't believe he's trusting me with a million dollars or whatever it is. Like, I, I'm afraid. I, I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to like lose 50% of it. And all of a sudden, like he comes back and he's really mad at me and I get punished for it. So I'm just going to bury it. Ever been there? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. He's, you've been entrusted with something. And maybe, just maybe, I'm just going to throw this one out there. Maybe some of you have been called to overseas missions. And you're like, Whoa. 
come back to that later. I mean, we don't know. But what we do know is that he delayed obedience, and that's something we got to understand. Delayed obedience is always, always, always disobedience. Always. No exception. If he tells you to go, if he tells you to talk to someone about Jesus, if he tells you to go overseas, and if he tells you, he's not saying, just wait and pray and pray and pray and pray. Like, I'm not against praying and waiting upon the Lord. But, it, like, like, I'm pro-prayer, I'm pro-waiting. But if he told you already to do something, and then you say, I'm going to pray about it, be careful. You might be using prayer as an excuse to be disobedient. Delayed obedience is always disobedience. And that's where I believe that this little line, like, at once, at once, ah, uh, and the motives of this guy is going to show up. We're going to talk about his motives as to why he dug that. And again, we can all resonate there. Folks, here's what I want you to be thinking about. Has there been things in your life that you know God has told you to do? And you've put it off for whatever reason. Here's your opportunity by God's grace. Don't delay. Dig it out of that hole and get to it. Delayed obedience is always, always disobedience. Verse 19. This verse ought to create excitement in us, and at the same time, it's meant to sober us. Verse 19. Now, after a long time, the masters of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Now, after a long time, who knows? But I'm willing to bet that the guy who dug the talent in the hole, it got out of sight, out of mind, and he completely forgot about it. I'm willing to bet that's what happens. Maybe every now and then it crosses his mind. He's like, yeah. But here's the reality. Jesus will set foot on earth again. He will set foot on the Mount of Olives when he comes again in his glory. He will. He is coming back. And that should create this anticipation where we're ready and praying and eagerly expecting him to come. But at the same time, it should be created inside of us this passion to live intentionally for Jesus because we don't know when he's coming back. That's the sobering reality as well. He's coming back, and when he comes back, he's going to settle accounts. He wants to know what you did with what he's entrusted to you. Not to make you feel bad or to make you feel guilty, but to celebrate with you. Now, however, if you bury a talent and you know that the Lord is coming, there's going to be a sense of fear. But if you've been faithful and you're living intentionally and doing what Jesus called you to do, there's going to be a sense of like eager anticipation and joy and you can't wait for him to come back. In fact, let me even say this. If you've been living intentionally for Jesus, you are actually excited to be held accountable. That's weird. Ever been in an accountability relationship? Kind of a cliche deal where you know at some point so-and-so is going to ask you some question about your faith did you read, you know, you've been pure or whatever it is, and you're like, you're, you don't want to have that conversation because you know 
you, you didn't do what you were supposed to be held accountable for. And so you dread that meeting time and you might even cancel that meeting time because you didn't do it. Anybody or am I just the only heathen in the room, right? Like these two guys were, were excited to be held accountable. Not so much the one who dug it in the ground. And here's the reality of the fact that Jesus coming back and taking account is simply this, coming back full circle. Delayed obedience will eventually show itself. It will eventually show itself. This is the reality. It's meant to create excitement, and yet it's meant to kind of make us a little sober and just kind of get realigned and then be careful of the way we're walking and how we're living. Are we doing this intentionally? Are we drifting? Or are we doing other things more intentionally than following Jesus? It's meant to kind of stimulate our hearts and get us back in alignment with his spirit. These two guys, the guy entrusted with the five and the two, who immediately at once took it to work, they took it and they saw their lives, this opportunity from when the master left to when he comes back, as like a gift, like here's my life. My life is a gift to you. Here's what I did with what you entrusted to me. And they were excited to give that gift back to the master. Like here's what I did with what you, you gave me. It's all yours. It's, it's for you. And let me look at this in verse 20, uh, verse 20. And he who had received the five talents, he came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me, or in other words, you entrusted to me five talents. Like, here, I made five more. And then, like, I love what he didn't say. He's like, here, I made five more. Ain't I amazing? And can I have some of it? He's like, no, Master, you, you entrusted me with five. Here's five more for you, for your goodness. I was thinking of you. This whole time, I was living for you. I had your best interest at heart. And so this is all for you. Here's five more. The two, the guy who received the two does the same thing. He's like, here's the two you gave me. It's, it's for you. It's all for you. And then the master says, well done. Good and faithful servant. Like, again, this is one of those statements that is used a lot of times in churches, and we don't slow down enough to actually tear that apart and think about the weight of what Jesus is saying. Well done. The only way Jesus can say that to you is if you did, come on, something. You've got to do something. Well done. I entrusted you with something and you did it. He doesn't say, well-intentioned. You thought about it. Your heart was good. Well done. No, well-intended. Our God is a God who gets things done. Amen? Like he, he gets things done. He, he wants us to be responsible, well done, good and faithful servants. He's giving him the attribute of being good and faithful because he was living for the goodness of the master. 
I'm taking what you're giving me and I'm living for you. This is for you. I'm thinking of you. I'm prioritizing my life and my endeavors around you. It's for you. And he's like, well done, good and faithful servant. And not only that, he's like, you've been faithful with little. And my mind goes, because I'm, I'm earthly, I'm like, you're saying that five talents is being faithful with little? Sign me up. Right? Like, I'll take that. He's like, no, you're faithful with little. You're going to be entrusted with much. Jesus sees things on a completely different level than we do. He's like, you've been faithful with what I entrusted to you. I'm going to give you more responsibility. In fact, you got to understand your joy is tied up to fulfilling responsibility. That's how God created us. But he's like, you're going to get more responsibility, not just here on earth, but now he's also talking about a heavenly economy. You're going to be also given more things, more things to be responsible for in heaven. He says the same thing to the guy with two that tells us that there's no favoritism with God. What he's looking for is faithfulness. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little. Now I'm going to entrust you with more. And then he says my favorite thing. Enter into the joy of your master. He doesn't say enter into the joy of heaven or the joy of the scenario or the joy of the job. He's like, enter into my joy. Like Jesus taught this over and over and over that he wants his joy to be our joy. Even in the Old Testament, it says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We find joy when we live intentionally for Jesus. But we settle for so much less. We get caught up in this pursuit of happiness. Garbage. The pursuit of happiness When you think about it, that means happiness is connected to happenings. And happenings change all the time. Joy is constant. It's deep. It's rich. Enter into the joy of your master. These guys were beyond excited to be held accountable. Verse 24. Now, this is where the soundtrack of the movie changes. It gets rather ominous at this moment. Verse 24. He also received the one talent, came forward saying, this guy, I'm just telling you, he's extremely lame. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. Oh, that's like indignant. <laughs> I mean, this guy, like, like, okay, we don't know. Like, was there trumpets sounding when the master came? Did they know that he was a mile out or did he just show up? Like, either way, you got to imagine that guy who dug that talent is going, oh, no, I'm caught. I forgot all about it. What do I do? And it's his turn to be held accountable. And he's like, Master, it's your fault. That's what he's doing. He's making an excuse for wasting the opportunity. And he's blaming the Master. You're a hard man. You're hard. Your rules are heavy to follow. You say, follow you, obey you, and all this kind of stuff. Like, I just can't do it. It's you. You're hard. You're not compassionate. You're unloving. You're unforgiving. You're unmerciful. In fact, you reap where you did not sow. In other words, he's saying, you're a stealer. 
You oppress people. You, you marginalize people. So I was afraid and I hid it. Here, so what is yours? I mean, this guy, this is some audacity. He's blaming God. And folks, let's just be honest. Sometimes we do that. Especially when we start to compare and contrast ourselves to other people. Well, God, I don't have the opportunities they have. I'm not in the family they're in. I don't have the talents and abilities they have. It's your fault. You did this. Why didn't you answer my prayer? We just go down this whole road. We're like, blame, 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 blame. But the reality is, you. Jesus, in this story, he calls this guy's bluff so hard. I mean, he immediately goes, you wicked and slothful servants. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. He goes, it's like, so, I just love the way he says this. You wicked and slothful. So you knew that I reap. I love you saying this. So you, you knew I was a hard man. You knew I was this. You knew I reaped where I sowed, okay? Like, get it. You, if you think this, and if you were really afraid of me, and you really believed I was a hard man, you would have at least invested it into the bank in a lousy savings account. If you really thought that, that's what you would have done. He's calling them out saying, you don't really think that. That's not the issue. The issue is you are intentional with your own life and gave second thoughts in me. And that's why he's calling them wicked and slothful. You're wicked because you placed yourself higher than me. You're wicked because you worshiped yourself over me. That's why you're wicked. And he says, you're slothful. Whoo, what a word. Doesn't mean lazy. It means you're selectively lazy. Promise to not tell my wife this. I am slothful when it comes to laundry. I selectively choose to be lazy there. Don't tell her that. It'll ruin my whole strategy. The master's like, you're slothful. In other words, he's saying, you were lazy with what I entrusted to you also implying you were rather intentional and focused on yourself during this time. He's like, you weren't lazy with what you wanted. You weren't lazy when it came to pursuing your own comforts and your own desires. You were rather intentional over there, but when it came to what I gave you, you were slothful. So therefore, you are wicked. Jesus is full of truth. And grace, my friends. He's telling us the truth. And I think a lot of times he's saying it so to make us sober and go, oh my goodness, okay, I've buried some talents. I don't want to do that. I need to be realigned. I need to confess. I need to go, yes, I've been delaying obedience over here. Yes, I've been more intentional about my own comfort, my own investments, my own this, my own this, whatever it is. And you can think about that at anything. Yes, God, I've been slothful when it comes to your gospel when it comes to redeeming the time that you have entrusted to me. I mean, he gives, Jesus gives a grim, a grim picture of this guy. And he starts talking about like, basically this guy, we can make the assumption, this guy doesn't know the Lord like the other two servants do in this story. He's like, listen, take what he has. Take what he has. He's not responsible for it. Give that to other people who have already proved themselves to be responsible. Throw out, 
throw the worthless servant out where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like when I read that, like you can say like Jesus is kind of blunt. Like, yeah, he is kind of blunt. Absolutely. But a lot of times he's also trying to shake up those who haven't said yes to Jesus, who have not taken advantage of the time that God has graciously given them. The Bible says now is the time of salvation. Now is the time of salvation. And like there's a warning there. It's like, listen, I'm not who you think I am. I'm not a hard person. I'm not unforgiving. I am very forgiving. I want you to come into the joy of the mountain. I want you to have the joy. I want you to have the blessings. But that means this. There's a lot of grace in that. But if you choose to squander the time that he's given to you to receive the gift of life, it's like this is the reality. But there's also a warning that should land on our ears as believers of going, if he's entrusted to you gospel responsibility to which he has, there's going to come a moment where he goes, what did you do? And he's excited to know. And he wants you to share in that excitement to go, here's what I did with what you've given me. It's all for you. It's all for you. So I want to ask this question. What would you do if you knew it wouldn't fail for the glory of God? What would you do if you knew it wouldn't fail for the glory of God? What is the Holy Spirit stern in your heart calling you to? Maybe you already know it because you already dug it. You put the talent down. And if that's the case, dig it up. Get it out of the hole and get going. What would you do? And in God's eyes, can it even really fail anyways if you're doing it for the glory of God? And if you feel like maybe this thought or whatever, how you would answer this is inspired by the Holy Spirit, my next question is, why would you wait? Why not take that next step and let him unfold it all, but you just keep being faithful, living intentionally for Jesus? God has entrusted the mission of the kingdom of God to the church, to people, who center around him, who are empowered through the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses, to make disciples, to lead in a different way, to embrace humility. And when God's people live intentionally like this, I'm telling you, the world gets flipped upside down. Lives are changed. People see Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. So, Father, I just ask that your spirit would do what is best. Lord, we, we just simply right now recognize that your Holy Spirit is the preacher. Your Holy Spirit is the guide. You're the one who does the convicting. You're the one who does the encouraging. So, Lord, I ask that in this moment that you would convict us of areas of slothfulness, Areas of where we've been wicked and just being more about ourselves and 
and selectively lazy when it comes to obedience. Lord, forgive us for those areas. Lord, we, we repent. Lord, thank you for the honor that you've bestowed upon us to even entrust us with time, to entrust us with people, to entrust us with the kingdom. Lord, I pray for individuals in this room who have not received the gift of life through Jesus, that they would say yes to you, receive the forgiveness of their sins, and enter into new life. And Lord, and I just pray for us as a church, Lord, that we would be faithful as a church, as a people, with the responsibility that you have given us. Lord, we want to be a people who long for that day and can be excited for that time to be held accountable because we know, we know that we've been choosing to live intentionally for you. So we say, come Lord Jesus. And at the same time, not yet. Because there are loved ones in their lives who don't know you. So stir us up.